The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time! Oh, no. Oh, yeah! I finished these fights. Give me a hell, yeah! Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it! It's the best thing going today. Joe DiMaggio, 56-game hit streak. Boys to Men and Mariah Carey, One Sweet Day, 16 straight weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. King Sabhuza II of Swaziland, 82 years as king. Crocodile Dundee, nine consecutive weekends being number one at the box office. Unfortunately, all great streaks must come to an end. And so it's with a heavy heart that I tell you for the very first time, Ryan Drosty, due to prior commitments, will not be p- appearing on this week's show. Instead, and possibly the greatest downgrade in talent since Jay Leno took over the Tonight Show from Johnny Carson, I, Justin Joint, will be hosting. Yeah, in this episode, the inmates run the asylum. Welcome to Top Rope Nation, Electric Boogaloo. Kyle Ross, Kyle Ross, are you ready to do this? I am ready. That was a very fine intro there, buddy. Thank you. Thank I didn't you. know where you were going. Yeah, wow. <laughs> do not adjust your speakers, ladies and gentlemen. That is not the voice of Ryan Drosty here. And we hope Ryan's having a great time tonight. But yeah, ready to rock and roll with you, buddy. Yeah. And, you know, normally I uh, either don't drink or I have a little vodka. But in honor of Ryan, I uh, cracked open a uh, two-hearted ale tonight. Wait, you... Did you just say you don't drink on most episodes? That's <laughs> no, it, if I don't drink. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was gonna say that's very rare. I was gonna say, I'm talking about streaks still being attacked. I was gonna say the alcohol on this show is <laughs> it's essential. Yes. Um, well, I'd just like to thank everybody for being here with us, and uh, I'd ask you to uh, subscribe to the show wherever podcasts are found, including Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe and leave us a five star rating. Leave us a review and we'll read it on the air. We are also available on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, TopRopeNation.com, and wherever podcasts are found. Uh, We are recording live right now on Patreon. You can get access to our live stream each and every week and early access to the show for just $1 a month. Join the $5 a month tier and get access to our show notes every week an exclusive sticker sent to you in the mail, and access to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, including Ryan and Kyle just put out an edition of the Top Rope Nation Extra, exclusive to Patreon, on Monday, reviewing Extreme Rules and Fight for the Fallen. Uh, Plus, we'll be giving away the San Diego Comic-Con exclusive Macho Man Randy Savage Slim Jim-themed WWE Elite figure in August to one of our supporters on Patreon. You don't want to miss that. You got to get signed up to have a chance to get this uh, incredibly rare figure. 
Uh, so let's dig in right now. Extreme Rules is over. Uh, and so been a Raw, lot of television. I've yeah. watched, a lot of wrestling I've watched in the last five days. And like you said, uh, anyone who wants to hear about Extreme Rules, Fight for the Fallen, and even the Evolve Anniversary Show. We did touch on that briefly, but in the interest of time, we kind of skimmed through it. You can be a patron, listen to that show that Ryan and I did. We were reviewed Fight for the Fallen, uh, Evolve, and Extreme Rules. But uh, tonight, I know it's Raw and SmackDown pretty much uh, exclusively that we're going to talk about as we prepare for the road to SummerSlam. That's right. Now, you know, things are starting to settle into place as far as, uh, especially, I, I think we can say we got our, uh, our championship matches, um, yeah. for the most part, looking like we know where they're going and maybe even a couple of the undercard matches. By the way, is this the 32nd SummerSlam? Really? Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. 88. So yeah. Flash, you know, so that means 2017 would have been 30. Yeah. Well, 30 second SummerSlam. Huh. They go by quick. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you, 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 um, pardon me there. You talked about it, that we're getting this, um, that the, the top of the cards taking shape. Now, as you know, SummerSlam, second, third biggest card of the year, right? Yeah. Um, so let's look at what we have, okay? Universal title match, Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins confirmed. Raw women's title match, Becky Lynch versus Maddie confirmed. SmackDown women's title match, Bailey versus Ember Moon confirmed. Uh, not confirmed, but very, very likely is WWE title match, Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton. Uh, Justin, my question to you is, do you feel, and you can answer for yourself, uh, what you think wrestling fans coast to coast think, or both, uh, you and what the wrestling fans at large think, does this feel like an adequate top of the card for the second or third biggest show of the year? And I know we're going to get in, there was a lot that happened on WWE television this week. We're going to try to cover as much as we can, and we're going to talk about how these matches were made. But that's the question I want to pose to you. Does this feel like an adequate, big-time top of the card for the second or biggest, second or third biggest show of the year? At this moment, no. <laughs> but I, I think with the matches, they have a chance to build them to feel that way. The only one that I, I have some real concerns about is Becky Lynch and Natty. At least Bailey and Ember Moon um, is somewhat of a fresh matchup. Uh, Lesnar Rollins, obviously, you know, they've, they've headlined shows multiple times and, you know, I'm not convinced that that match is actually going to happen the way it stands. I, I have a feeling they're going to add somebody or maybe Rollins replaces somebody. I don't know. I, I think there's going to be something else going on with that. And, uh, you know, Kofi and Orton, um, they've got a lot of history that they could build to. And, you know, arguments could be made that does this make, Kofi an even bigger deal? I don't, you know, I don't know. Okay. So I figured you would say that. And I agree with you. It does not feel like an adequate top of the card for the second or third biggest show of the year. These four matches. And, you know, something I like to do uh, as a member of this podcast, as one of the triumvirate of hosts, is go back and like revisit past takes that we had. And 
I want to take you back to the show after the Superstar Shakeup. And I believe the first comment I made on that show, Justin, was, okay, so they shook up the rosters. Let's look forward, guys. What's the big matches for SummerSlam? And we struggled to come up with any. Like, what, what, what was the direction? I mean, obviously, you know, the argument is, well, there's, you know, four months of television. They'll come up with something. They can build something up. And I just feel like, not to toot my own horn, but toot toot, that comment is coming home to roost where the lack of a big match just led in at least three of these matches to a challenger of the month type deal where there's no semblance of long-term booking. It was a challenger basically put in an arbitrary match to determine the number one contender. And they're just the number one contender because they won that match. You know, I mean, three of the challengers are pretty cold and were not built long-term. Like none of these matches feel big to me at all, which is a problem because it's funny I don't know you. You were not on the post show, but did you enjoy Extreme Rules for the most part? Uh, I would say for the most part, I enjoyed it. Okay. Is it a fair statement to say that Extreme Rules and the previous WWE pay-per-view offering, Stomping Grounds, had something in common in that both shows started pretty hot with overachieving undercards, but when they got to the main events, it kind of grinded to a halt. Is that kind of a fair, like, I I think when you look at both of those shows, they have that in common, personally. I, I think you could probably make that argument going all the way back to WrestleMania. Okay. I, so, know, I, oh, yeah, so do we think the top of the card is a problem in the WWE? Yes. Okay. Um, this ain't going to fix it, <laughs> these matches. Um, I want to talk, you know, so we can, look, like you said, they can make these matches feel like a bigger deal. So, again, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll talk about it in the next couple of weeks, how these matches, how we feel about these matches that they get. But what I really want to talk about this week um, is how these matches were set up. Because I have in my notes here, flawed in execution and result was my take. Um, really, for all four of the matches. We talked about, and I, I think it again speaks to that larger problem with a lack of long-term booking in WWE. Um, we can go through these matches one by one, but what did you think, generally speaking, about the way these matches were set up? You know, we had a, a four-way to determine the women's contender that Natty won. We had a battle royal uh, where Lesnar earned the shot at, or pardon me, Rollins earned the shot at Lesnar. Um, Ember Moon was in a tag with Bailey, and Bailey decided, hey, was like, hey, let's have a match. And then Orton did the old uh, pin Kofi in a six-man, which is exactly what Samoa Joe did to set up the last WWE title match um, at Extreme Rules. So what did you think about those things, just generally speaking? Uh, um, God, I, you know, I actually, I kind of liked the Bailey Ember Moon one the best. You know, that Battle Royal, it really seemed like the only people that had a chance were Seth and uh, Roman Reigns. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, with the way Braun and Lashley have been feuding, didn't really seem like either one of them had a shot, even though they were probably the most next logical, stop, you know, 
people to take on Lesnar. Um, and then, you know, yeah, for Kofi and Orton, you have one of my least favorite tropes in WWE where somebody pins the champion. Yeah. So I want to go through each of these individually and maybe it's going to be nitpicky, but I think uh, they're good points that I came up with. Cause I've been thinking a lot about this over 40 hours. Now we should know TV ratings pretty good this week for WWE. They were up. So, you know, people were engaged in the show and a lot happened. Didn't it feel like a lot more happened than usual on both Raw and SmackDown? I, it's funny because I think we're going to be negative here in these next eh, 15, 20 minutes or so. But generally speaking, I feel I liked more than I didn't on both Raw and SmackDown. It's just that these main title programs, which to me should be the main takeaways, right? Because it's the big matches on the big show that you're setting up. Just don't have me excited. You know what? And you, part of the problem is like, I don't know what else or who else they could have inserted to make it exciting. I mean, Which, who, who could have won that battle royal for you to been excited for this match? Okay, let's talk about the battle royal first then. Um, did you see the tweet about Big E during Raw? I did not. Okay. Tell. Somebody tweeted. And a couple of people yeah, that WWE had a sent a video out. And I meant to send this to you in the notes. And I should I should send it to you and we should retweet it. That um there was an a backstage interview with Big E discussing him challenging Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. And everyone was like, did, did they just blow the finish for this battle royal? And it's so, and I'm like, okay, that somebody maybe fell asleep at the wheel, but I actually got excited for this battle royal because I'm like, if Biggie wins, that's kind of cool. Because here's the issue that I have, um, and, and it was taken down quickly, by the way, that that um that video, um or that tweet by WWE, but it was caught, and then I was like, okay, wow, I'm like, and I thought that kind of made sense because a battle royal does it not just enjoy. It while it's not an ideal way to determine a number one contender, in my opinion, it was a built up. Well, the rating held up and that, that supports that, but the nature of a battle Royal, the winner should be kind of an unlikely contender. And instead they just went with the guy who already had a, a storyline justification to get a rematch in Seth Rollins. Yeah, totally agree. So yeah, it was the least, probably least interesting way they could have done it. And and the eliminations almost went by the pecking order, didn't they? Like they just, they just sort of, okay, all the top guys were left and it didn't really make anyone Um, to me. Again, I think there was two ways you could go about setting up the contender for Brock. If you wanted to do Seth, I, I don't understand why he had to win a battle Royal. I get that there's no automatic rematches and people make a big deal about that. But the only reason automatic rematches became an issue in WWE is because there's too many titles. And so there's too many rematches. Like if anyone, if, if there's been a storyline this year where the former champion deserves a rematch more than Seth Rollins would in this situation, I don't know it. Right? I mean, yeah. it, it's like the easiest thing to look. It was the heel cash in. He wasn't expecting it. You know, like if they had just come out at the beginning of the show and said, it's going to be Seth and 
rock again. Okay, maybe that's not exciting, but like it's justified, right? Yeah. And um, if you wanted to put Seth over, just have him crush Baron Corbin. Now I know that can't be the main event of the show, but that would have been one way. The other way is if you do this battle royal, and again, the ratings pattern suggested people were into this battle royal. I thought Heyman in that opening segment did a nice job building this battle royal, went over all of the participants. So people were kind of into it. Now, I was kind of into it, especially when I'd seen that tweet about Big E allegedly was going to win the thing. And then when he got tossed, I'm like, oh, well, I guess he's not winning. And then I was just like, all right, well, they're just going to go with the predictable answer. And I became severely less interested in it. Yeah. And Paul Heyman uh, did a good job building intrigue when, you know, he was kind of building up uh, Cesaro and uh, who was the other one? He kind of gave props to when they were announcing the participants. Oh, was it Sami Zayn? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and I guess the one thing you, about it being the battle royal and the ratings holding up is it the battle royal or is it the fact that it was going to determine, you know, the number one contender at SummerSlam? I mean, if you would have done like a fatal four way or, I mean, basically any kind of match, I, I think as long as it wasn't a one-on-one, -on -one, the intrigue would have been there. Okay. Was there, here's the, it, well, I think here's the real question. Was the interest because people wanted to see Seth Rollins earn the rematch or was the interest because it seemed like somebody random could win? That's the interesting thing to me. And I guess we won't know that until the coming weeks play out and we see what the interest level is, what the ratings pattern is for the Seth Brock stuff. That's a buddy of mine brought up a thing and we're going to get into the women's match, which was obviously a complete disaster, but a buddy of mine brought up that, you know, given how things played out, they probably should have flip flopped the two scenarios, given the men, the fa a fatal four way situation where it's just basically, you know, it could have been like, you know, Seth Roman Brock and, or Seth Roman Braun and I don't know, somebody else. And then the women could have had a battle royal. Because the thing is, why do you do these, Matt? These number one, well, you have to fill TV time. You know, to me, I think this whole pure sports build we hear a lot about, I don't think it draws, I, I, you know, like we've got to determine a number one contender. Again, what did I say earlier? It's sort of arbitrary. We're just throwing random people in a match. And, and again, you know, when you look at the women, and we'll get to that, that we're thrown into that number one contenders match. Three of them hadn't even been pushed heavily or let alone been winning on television for months. And all of a sudden it's like, well, if they win this, they're number one contender. Whereas well, to me, wrestling works better when you have someone who's been built up over time and all of a sudden the time is right for them to challenge for a title. Not they just arbitrarily win a number one contenders match. A hundred percent. I'd hundred percent agree. If Ember Moon had been winning uh, mid-card matches for the past, you know, month, two and months. And Lord knows there's a lot of women on that main roster she could be beating. Yeah. I mean, that that would have made that moment uh, feel a lot bigger instead of just kind of thrown together. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that, um, to me, what do you think? Would you have preferred... They went with the battle royal situation. Would you have preferred then them go with someone besides Seth, or was Seth the right call here? Um, you know, man, it just this is such a lame answer. It just all depends on what they're gonna do with it. If this, like, because my initial thought the second he won is like, okay, this isn't the match. Like Roman Reigns is gonna get inserted somehow. 
or he's going Seth is going to get replaced. Um, mm-hmm. and that's going to lead to something with whoever replaces him down the road, perhaps like a Seth heel turn, uh, for having his spot taken away. Um, I guess the only thing that makes me think that they are actually going to have this match is because Seth and Brock have never really had a, a real, you know, time consuming match before, you know, they had the money in the bank cash in, I believe it was, might've been before that when he had the triple threat with John Cena, that was a triple yeah, threat. Yeah, that was, it was two months, but that was the rumble 15. Yeah. And then, you know, you kind of had the, the scaredy heel Seth Rollins, you know, when he faced Brock Lesnar, but that had the smosh finish with the undertaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, uh, I think like a, the pay-per-view before SummerSlam in 2015. And then we had WrestleMania, which obviously was a very short match. So are they, are they using, are they going to use this match to really prop up Seth to get a real win, uh, over Brock Lesnar? Or, I mean, is the only thing I could think of is that they're going to use a Brock victory to one, get something else going with Brock and two, to start a possible here heel run with, uh, Seth Rollins. I don't know about a heel run with Seth Rollins, but I look. Both uh, Ryan and I were very negative on our reaction show to the Brock Lesnar cash in because, you know, you said it. It's all about what they do. Well, let's look. You know, with Brock, we know these kind of absentee title runs don't make for good TV because it just sort of holds the rest of the pecking order down because you're having you have fewer title matches. So, you know, guys can't be elevated at the rate you'd want to be. And the payoff has never been worth it. We saw the payoff with Roman at SummerSlam last year. That wasn't satisfying. Seth at Mania was a little more satisfying, but still not really. I mean, it wasn't like this mega job where he put the guy over big time in either instance. It just wasn't. Um, So now you've got a situation where, okay, Seth's getting a rematch. So one of two things happens. One, he just wins the title back from Brock, which seems kind of silly right like why would you just have him lose it and win it right back what does that do for either guy yeah well like like is seth really going to be any more over with that um if that scenario plays out i mean i guess you had to do the cash in but again the argument could be made that you should have gone with somebody else having the briefcase rather than brock lesnar um or you have brock retain and then you've got to figure out something else to do with seth in the interim. Um, and then you're going to have, you know, same old Brock. <laughs> um, I, I think Brock against someone new would have worked better here personally, even if again, I'm maybe being a bit of a hypocrite and it would have been somebody, you know, there wasn't anyone in this match who it was just like, Oh, that's the guy. This guy is so ready for a title match, but a battle Royal lends itself. Again, I've harped on this little several times this podcast and, and uh, because I really feel that way. Doing a battle royal to determine a number one contender really lends itself to having an unpredictable winner. It's a way where you can elevate someone who normally wouldn't be in the title scene. They kind of get, you know, they get it because, you know, uh, it's an unpredictable match and they get in there. I think Big E would have actually been a, a, so, a great choice. Do you, okay. And then they could have <laughs> done, somebody could have eliminated Seth and he could have just had his own just kind of one month program for SummerSlam yeah. where he wins, heats back up, and then he's ready for Lesnar because Lesnar presumably would beat Big E. And really the only person that would have made sense for, you know, the situation at being a battle Royal 
is Big E because otherwise you have Sami Zayn and Cesaro who are both heels. Yes. So that, that dynamic doesn't really work. Um, do you think there's any chance that, you know, because we've kind of seen this thing before where maybe they were going to go with Big E, that video got released, Vince found out, and you know how much he hates surprises. Yeah, being spoiled. But, but like it was released. Well, it was, I think it was released. People started retweeting it before Raw. Because, so, well, but he replaced Daniel Bryan, didn't he? I'm pretty sure. Yes, yeah, Sami Zayn replaced Daniel Bryan. Yes. Oh, okay. My bad. My bad. Yeah, Sami Zayn replaced Daniel Bryan. That. So I, yeah, I, and I don't know why that was, but um, well, then I don't know. Maybe it was in Bryan's contract that he, didn't, that he didn't have to work. You know, if he doesn't want to work both shows in a week, he doesn't have to. Yeah. Um, because we know he has a cushier contract. Um, but um, because I mean, it's not. I, as much as, first of all, Daniel Bryan loses too much, but I don't think, you know, given he's getting pinned in tag matches at the time, I don't think being eliminated in a battle royal would have really been a big deal. Um, I don't know why, but uh, it's just that, to me, I, I would have gone in a different direction with that. If you're going to do the battle royal, again, Lesnar-Rollins of these four matches is the one that makes the most sense. It's very logical based off um, what happened in Extreme Rules. And again, if you want to hear our thoughts on what happened at the end of Extreme Rules. Become a patron. Listen to our uh, show where we recap Extreme Rules. Let's move on to this women's four-way, shall we? Okay, I have a dirty secret. You're going to be shocked by this. Oh, my God, you liked the match? I didn't watch the fucking match. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, because you heard about how bad it was? Yes. Okay. Well, it was, it was a disaster. In fact, okay. the only reason I, I almost watched it is because of how I heard the ending just was getting pooed on. Okay. I still think, despite the information you have just shared with me, <laughs> that you can answer this question, that you're qualified to. Okay, let's okay. examine why this match was such a disaster. Was it the women's fault, all the women's fault? Or was this, again, another situation of WWE booking setting its performers up to fail? What do I mean by that? I mentioned this earlier. This match was announced earlier in the day. Okay. It's Alexa Bliss, uh, Naomi, Natty, and Carmella. You see those four announced for a number one contenders match, right? My thought was, well, okay, Alexa Bliss has to win. I mean, right? She's the only pushed person of the four. I know she just lost in the other, you know, for the other title, but she wasn't the one pinned. It was Nikki Cross. But I'm like, it's got to be Alexa, right? Well, it wasn't, as we know. Um, now, Alexa was the last one eliminated. But the issue here was you put these women out there. They And it had to be a long match because it was elimination rules. It was at the two-hour mark of the show. And it's three women, again, who have not been seriously pushed in months. So... What do you expect to me? Like, of course the crowd shit on it. And the work, now, to be fair, I don't think the work was particularly good in the match either. As a matter of fact, I know it wasn't. Um, I know Alexa Bliss was very upset, took to social media to complain about the fans being rude. Um, my response to that is, God bless you, but you shouldn't be doing chin locks late in a match in hour three of raw that ain't getting over. <laughs> okay. You just shouldn't don't do it. Don't hit the chin lock, man. Um, 
So, you know, I think it wasn't all the women's fault. I don't think they were put in a strong position. These were not for, well, if this had been four women who had been built up again over weeks, over months, all kind of had legit cases to be a contender, had built momentum, were over with the audience. The reaction's different. This is what happens when you don't build, build up challengers over a long period of time. You just arbitrarily throw people in these number one contenders matches. 75% of the participants, no one gave a hoot about. And there you have it. And that's why I think the crowd was upset. It just, you know, it's like they just kind of assumed Alexa Bliss was going to win. And the fact that she didn't, I don't think really meant anything in their eyes. Because the per, you know, Natty. I mean, we'll get into her in a minute. I mean, God bless her. She seems like a nice woman, but she's just a low ceiling performer, in my opinion. Yeah, and it seems like we've seen her in this role a billion times, and and, and yeah, this is certainly a uh, circumstance where it was. It's like a uh, pulling a name out of a hat book. Yes, yeah, challenger of the month. Now, if you believe the reports online. The thought process uh, for having Natty be the challenger in this situation is that, as you know, Justin Joint, SummerSlam is in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And that Natty will be really over being it in Canada. I have a question about that line of thinking. (laughs) Doesn't having Natty go in as this Canadian hero completely undermine Becky, who's allegedly the top babyface of the women's division. Like what's like, you're going to go with Becky, like as like the foreign heel, like the evil, you like the U S heel in front of the Canadian crowd. Why? You you heard it here first folks, Seth Rollins, Becky Lynch, double heel turn at SummerSlam. Uh, It's happening. I, yep. just, I I don't know. The only reason you think of is because they're planning on t- turning Becky heel, or they've got they've got to have something else up their sleeve. Okay, so it uh, makes no sense. Okay, now there are people who defend these things, and you know those who. Ooh, you ever heard of Hard Austin? You know U.S. versus Canada feud '97. You know that worked pretty well. Yeah, it did work well. You know what happened when they went to Canada? The Canadian won, <laughs> so that <laughs> so that um, you know they didn't resent. Austin in when he would come back, you know, over the next couple of years, Natty, if Natty Neidhart wins this match, I, I mean, I give up. God, I mean, what do you think about? Like, I think Natty is interesting. She seems to be free of criticism a lot. She's not someone who gets a lot of criticism. I don't think Natty's very good. I mean, she is the proverbial, you know, and we can use this, you know, because, you know, they made a storyline out of it in AEW with Cody and Sean Spears. Natty is the proverbial good hand, but she has very low upside to me. She is not and has never been a championship level performer for me. No, I agree. She lacks a certain amount of charisma and yeah. <laughs> i think she she has a lot of cachet because she's been around for a long time and because of uh her family history yeah but it's like if you watch her come out you know somebody points out to me it's always one two three salute the crowd one two three salute the crowd one check it out next time she comes down that's what it is i mean god bless her and the crowd did react to that line about you know 
you know, Becky being like a bad lover or something. But I, I just think that, again, I've talked about different scenarios in the booking of the women's division over the last couple months that did no favors to both Becky and then, you know, and more recently, Bailey. This is another one that's just a head scratcher to me. I don't know why you're setting up a match where Natty is, um, you know, going to be playing the Canadian hero for the crowd there when you run the risk of alienating Becky towards your Canadian audience. She's not, I mean, Becky, God bless her, she's really over. She's not stone cold with a rock who's immune to this kind of stuff. And if she wins and beats the Canadian hero, like where does that leave her with the Canadian audience? Yeah. I, I don't know, man, to me, this is just a matter. It's, it's beating a dead horse with this. We've said it a million times, you know, the women shouldn't be split up into two brands. There's just a lack of depth in that division where, you know, there's not a whole lot of other options they can go with. Cause frankly, we've seen a lot of these matchups over and over again already. Are you shocked that Charlotte Flair is not in either of these title matches? And the whole, and the, the you know, the rather ho hum way she was brought back with SmackDown. She had been off TV for over a month, just kind of randomly showed up in Shane McMahon's town hall, okay, as he prepares for the Iowa caucus. And, um, you know, then works Liv Morgan, and that's it. I was shocked because I said on our, our um, Extreme Rules show, I'm like, oh, Charlotte's got to be, you know, because I was taking a lay of the land here. I'm like, who was challenging for these titles? So I'm like, Charlotte's got to be challenging for one of them. She's got a storyline issue with both champions. And apparently that's not the case. I, I was shocked by that, quite frankly. Yeah, that, that was the most WWE thing ever, just to randomly bring her back to – I guess put over Liv Morgan. I mean, did she really put her? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it was to me, Liv's obviously undergoing a gimmick change. We can get to that when we talk about the rest of the show or kind of potpourri uh, coverage uh, as we just kind of talk about things that we like about that. We liked on WWE television, but let's finish up um, talking about these matches at the top of the SummerSlam card. Um, I have less to say about on the SmackDown side than I did on the raw side, the raw side. I just, I don't know, man. I just, there was just a lot I did not like in the execution and result. Uh, SmackDown, we had Bailey teaming up with Ember Moon to defeat Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville in a tag match. Right Here's something that just absolutely grinds my gears. We, we saw Daniel Bryan doing this with the SmackDown tag division. Bailey starts her promo by saying, I really want to elevate this SmackDown women's division. Why are they having their champions talk like this? They're basically admitting that the title I'm holding is meaningless in this division is shit when they say that. <laughs> Why do they have their champions say this? I just don't get it at all. And God bless you for wanting to do it, but like, and the crowd was behind Ember Moon. Let's behind that. Like, when Bailey's like, I'm looking for a contender, yada, 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 the crowd quickly picked up that she was going to choose Ember, who was standing right next to her. Um, interesting that the delivery, though, I don't know if you caught this. It was it was Kayla Braxton was the interviewer for that segment, I believe. And she never really let Bailey name Ember Moon. Like Bailey's like, I'm looking for someone who does all these qualities and stuff. And Kayla's like, how about it, Ember? And Ember's like, I accept. When <laughs> like I don't think there was any sort of formal challenge made. I mean, it was implied by Bailey, but it wasn't really formally made. Oh, I thought actually, that was odd. 
it'd actually be kind of amazing if next week Bailey's like, I didn't say it was you. <laughs> that would be, that would be, what a hoot that would be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, again, you kind of talked about this Ember Moon, who I I like a lot, and I thought was someone who could have been built up long term, getting a lot of wins, but she's kind of just been stuck in the you know, you know, she's been on TV, off TV. I mean that whole feud with Mandy and Sonia, you know, over video games and donuts was kind of just ho-hum. By the way, why is Mandy Rose not a bigger star in this company? I I, I have no idea. I mean, all of us, I'm, we were pretty convinced uh, around WrestleMania that she was going to be champ. And yeah, now I, here she is middling in nowhere. Is this like one of those things where like, we're all just wrong for assuming W like, cause I think a lot of it is look, Mandy Rose is a very attractive woman. I don't know if you're allowed to say that anymore on wrestling podcasts. I did. Okay. And I, I won't take it back either. Okay. <laughs> and you know, WWE certainly has a history of pushing attractive blonde haired women. Do they not? Yes. Okay. Mandy Rose is an attractive blonde haired woman. I'll say it again. <laughs> and she is oddly not pushed that well. I, I think it's surprising to me. It really is. It, and I'm not it saying just that makes that's... me think. It just makes me think kind of like with the same thing with Braun Strowman, where you, you kind of hear that he's not pushed to the moon because of maybe some backstage stuff. Like he's not staying for the entire show. Maybe not a hundred percent dedicated that it's not the on screen thing. That's holding them back. It's, it's the backstage stuff. Yeah, well, I, we've never heard that with Mandy, though. So I don't know. I, I mean, she's not like gets covers of magazine. It just it just seems very odd that they really have not pushed her. Um, you know, like we all thought they would. Uh, last title match, Randy Orton pins Kofi. I have a question for you. The, I think the announcing and the promos that are written for Kofi's uh, rivals do such a disservice to Kofi Kingston. They keep talking about. All this storybook tale, Kofi. Oh, but when will it end? Oh, is you know, Kofi, yeah, we, you know, it was a nice little story you did at Mania, but you're not a, a real champion. Um, was this guy not the most fucking over person at WrestleMania? Sure was. He was he was made. I don't know why they're undermining that in the storytelling. Because I bring this up because I've seen I saw a lot of people on Twitter.com saying, oh, you know, Orton's a perfect person for Kofi here at SummerSlam. He can really, you know, um solidify Kofi as the champion. Kofi was over like Rover at WrestleMania. Well, and Rand and Randy Orton, yes, Randy Orton has a lot of cachet. And we talked about him as a guy possibly that could help elevate Aleister Black. I just think that here's the problem with Randy Orton being inserted into a world title program in 2019. Does Randy Orton as a world champion excite you in the least in 2019? No, I can't okay. get up for that at all. Okay. So, and God bless him. I think Randy Orton does a lot of things. Well, I think he does a lot of things. Well, okay. Um, not tweet about politics. See, that's not one of his fortes, but you know, he does a lot of other things. Well, that are wrestling related. Okay. It hurts a title match when the scenario of the challenger winning is not appealing. And that's what you have here. And like I talked about, it's a little different. It's not an apples to apples thing with Samoa Joe. But I talked about this, I think last week when we previewed Extreme Rules, that I think what it hurt, you know, as much as Samoa Joe did the best he could, 
and he always cuts great promos. I think what hurt the Kofi Joe program ultimately is that no one bought Samoa Joe as winning. No one did. And, okay, maybe more people buy Orton as winning, and this is what makes it different, but Randy Orton being the champion, I, I just, why? I don't know why, why you do that. Yeah, I wish they would have actually flip-flopped Randy Orton and Samoa Joe, maybe you could have built up Joe a little bit more as a monster and then have them coming into the SummerSlam because then you actually have some intrigue for a SummerSlam event where Joe's on a run. We've never seen him as champion. Kofi's just gotten off this feud with Randy Orton. But uh, obviously instead, you know, going back to your point about how uh, the story with Kofi is always that, does he really deserve this? And you know, he was over at WrestleMania, but that that's what WWE does. They they saw that that got him over, so now they are beating it into the ground because they don't have anything else. Yeah, I, I just... And, and has it ever been explained, by the way, why Vince McMahon had such a hard-on for Kofi Kingston leading up to WrestleMania? And then seemingly is just fine with it now. <laughs> like, remember, like, he, he... Like, they did such a big thing about Vince, you know, not letting him in the match, and then finally he let him in, and it's just fine, I guess. You know, and there's been no interaction with the McMahons at all. Like, even with like, like Kofi Kingston is like the one top baby face in this company not feuding with Shane McMahon <laughs> over the last four months. Yeah. I, I think that I think that's it. I mean, you talk about legitimizing to me. I think it's been they've kind of given them a ho hum slew of contenders. I mean, Dolph Ziggler. And why was he in the main event of SmackDown again? Yeah, because that worked out great for Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's your four title matches. I well, think we're it, kind of... I, oh, I got right. one more thing. The, the, the way they pay off Kofi and Randy Orton is at some point in that match, uh, Randy botches a move, and Kofi gets really upset and starts yelling stupid at him. <laughs> that would be incredible. That's a great <laughs> callback. Check your history, folks. Yep, that's that's right. a great, that would be a great callback. Um, <laughs> one thing I liked that Orton did, I should mention this. This was great. When they came out and did the promo, it was Joe, Elias, and him standing on the ramp talk, you know, talking with New Day. And Elias, Joe, and Orton are arguing who should challenge um, Kofi for the title. And, you know, it sort of just played out, well, there's no going to be no title match, but let's do a six-man. And Orton's like, six-man? No, thanks. And he just walked off. I thought that was a great reaction for his character. Absolutely great reaction. It's little things like, because, like, it makes sense. He came out to ask for a world title match. And, like, if you come out for that and someone's like, no, you're going to wrestle in a six-man instead, if you put yourself in that character's shoes, aren't you like, I don't want to fucking wrestle in this match one night. <laughs> <laughs> like I, so I thought that was great. That was a neat little touch, rather than just having everyone just go along and say, "Yeah, yeah, wow, what do you know? Six guy, we're six guys, and we're out here, and we're just gonna have a six man just because we're all talking." I thought that was a nice little touch. And so let's talk about let's pivot now, a hard right turn to the rest of WWE television this week. What did you like on WWE television the most this week, Justin Joy? Oh, for me, it's so easy. It, it's the uh, reappearance. So easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that song. So, uh, um, that was... second verse can't get played on the radio anymore. <laughs> uh, it was the reappearance of Bray Wyatt, which I thought worked really well. Um, granted, you know, it was right after Finn Balor took another L. 
Uh, but you know, but got his heat back. What a what a scenario this was. I'll let you continue, but yeah, I, I kind of want to talk about this. But man, it was just great. Uh, the way his music was playing, and then just kind of drained out, and then you heard all the electricity or the lights shutting down, and uh, boy, that mask looked a lot better uh, on TV than it did on the uh, Firefly Funhouse. Um, but man, I just thought Bray looked great. I thought it was a great production, and. You know, as much as we thought they really buried his character, you know, they have a real chance of doing what we all kind of hoped they were going to do with him in the first place, where we kind of thought he was the new Undertaker in a way before he became, you know, the WrestleMania jobber or the jobber to the stars. Uh, you know, I really hope they do something special with him. I hope Bray Wyatt beats uh, the Demon King at SummerSlam. And, you know, well, my that's ideal not going to happen, I guess. It seems because Balor's leaving. Uh, not after, not after until SummerSlam. Oh, okay. Supposedly it's not until after SummerSlam. So that okay. would be a great way to write him off too. Is Demon King loses and he disappears for two months and uh, comes back and you got another feud right there for him and Bray Wyatt. Yeah, we should talk about this if you have not read the reports. Finn Balor apparently taking some time off, which would explain his rather abrupt intercontinental title loss to Shinsuke Nakamura and um, kind of the scenario that played out. Um, on Ross. So let's talk about this. I thought that was like so WWE where you had Joe beat Balor. Okay, so Joe gets kind of his heat back from losing the previous night. But then Balor immediately kicks Joe's ass to get his heat back. <laughs> and that just sets up Bray showing up. One minor quibble I have, and it's the only one. It's actually kind of a big one uh, with Bray's return. Looks like he's positioned as a heel based on attacking Finn Balor. I would have gone with him as a babyface. I think the crowd wants to cheer for him. I think, and I'm going to get to what I like the most on WWE television this week in a second. Um, we can pivot to it rather easily. Like this, like a Kevin Owens, I think he can be. He's got a great anti-authority babyface run in him, Bray Wyatt. I really do. I think the heel character. Okay, this is kind of a fresh coat of paint. They've got a chance. I agree with you. And I a year ago, I thought Bray Wyatt was dead in the water. I thought he was done. But they they've got the chance. I would have liked to see him come back as a baby face. Yeah. My only thing with that though, is all that Firefly Funhouse is, I, I don't think his character is super directed at fans our age. I think it's a much younger crowd to scare them. Um, and probably in the end to prop up, uh, the big superstars, you know, he's going to probably be taking spears and eating Superman punches before mm. we know it. But, uh, you know, I think he's one of those characters that I think the older fans can love him because we think it's cool and the younger fans can hate him because he's scary and beats up the people they like who generally, you know, people our age don't like. I don't know, man. I think the crowd wants to cheer for this guy. I think the crowd wants to cheer for this guy. And I have an interesting thing there. So I didn't. So, you know, thank you for the clarification on Balor working, staying through SummerSlam. What's the history of Finn Balor at SummerSlam? demon yeah i think he's done it what the last three years yeah uh baron corbin uh bray wyatt yep. and seth rollins yes you can't do it i mean you don't want to beat the demon do you? yeah you do yes you would beat the demon with bray wyatt yes that's how you really make this new character 
I agree with that. But what does Finn Balor have left? And you are the president of the Balor Club. It's my understanding. Like <laughs> if Finn, like like look, I said the IC title was a great landing spot for Finn. I, we talked about this um, on a reaction show to Extreme Rules again, and it brought up not now. Had he not decided to take time off, who knows if that run would have um, continued as the IC champ? Had it, had he if he would have been pushed higher, been more of a deal on TV. But um, although he did, you know, there were a lot of people said, oh, he wasn't even on TV that much. It turns out that he's actually wrestled about as much on TV as anybody this year. Um, but man, what does Finn Balor have left when he loses? If the Demon loses, where? I mean, I guess there's the heel turn. That's well. Okay, and then kind of, word is kind of, he's pushing for it. You you are you kind of just pointed out why they need to do something different with him. Why he should probably lose and either evolve the demon, evolve his babyface character, or go heel is because he has been on TV a bunch and everybody kind of forgot about it. I mean, he's stale. I'm a big Finn Balor fan, but he's he's stale and he's been stale for a while, and something's got to change. And well, and you know what? You know what? You know what happens when you beat the demon? Nothing. The demon just comes back and wins another match because Samoa Joe beat it and nobody really talks about that. It doesn't matter. Anybody can get beaten. It just depends on what you do after that. It's very true. It's very true because I think you're right. His current trajectory where it's like, hey, he's Finn Balor and he's, you know, he he wins maybe more than he loses. You know, he's Balor club for everybody. People react to his entrance. He's push, you know, He's always upper mid card, but never the top guy. But you know, we've always got that demon in our back pocket, and that's the big stuff for the big shows. Mm-hmm. I think that whole scenario is kind of just played out, where it's like people are like, "Hey, eh, he's not the demon; he's just regular Finn Balor. He'll have some okay matches, and you know, win more than he loses, and, and be at a certain level." It it is very stale, quite. And, and and that's the perfect story is if somebody beats the Demon King. What's he left with? Because that's his final card when, you know, he needs to win. And if he doesn't have that, he needs something more. You know, maybe he needs friends. Yeah. And the report, and there was reports this week that he has um, asked to turn heel and join the club with AJ and Anderson and Gallows. So God willing. Yes. Um, By the way, something I liked before I get to what I like the most, um, did like, all of the club ricochet interaction on raw. I thought that was all well done to continue that feud. Love Cedric Alexander picking up the win over drew McIntyre. You didn't. I know it's, I get it. It makes sense why it happens. I just drew McIntyre makes me sad these past six months. Yes. Um, I always viewed it kind of, I view, so did you think that they were going to do that? Did you think Cedric was going to win watching that match? Or did you think, like, did you think there was a chance? Like when they like did it, are you like, oh, they could go with the upset here. You know, I kind of did just because I thought it was really weird that. What they did the week last before. Week. Yeah. 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 I mean, a lot of people pointed that out, that it was kind of, um, you know, a mea culpa for the very bizarre psychology of him. <laughs> working under a mask, surprising the heels, and then still eating a clean L, <laughs> which, yeah, we, we talked about that last week, just made no sense. But he got the win. I mean, you you made a great statement earlier when you said it's all about how they followed up. And I think ultimately what remains to be seen here is are they really going to give Cedric Alexander any sort of serious push? 
And I'm skeptical on that. Same here. Like history tells us he's going to get a push for a couple of weeks and then they're going to forget about him or, or in two weeks, Drew squashes him on TV <laughs> and yeah. we just pretend and they, Oh, well, you know, Cedric pulled that upset, but you know, now Drew's taking it seriously. And you know, that first match, that wasn't the real Drew McIntyre. So, okay. What I like the most on WWE television these days. Um, and I feel that this is as someone who long pushed for Kevin Owens, babyface run um, is Kevin Owens. I think Kevin Owens is absolutely tremendous as a baby face. Um, crowds behind him. He does things that he, his character behaves in a way that it makes you want to cheer for him. And that seems sort of obvious <laughs> uh, as someone who's a baby, but the WWE doesn't always do that. They kind of book a lot of times make their baby faces look like dopes. Um, and Kevin Owens, it's funny. He's kind of, he's outsmarting Shane and that's getting him over, right? Like, um, he stuns Shane and just runs away. Now, I don't know about running away, you know, but um, how that makes him the optics of that. But, you know, he sees the situation where he's surrounded. He come, goes out, rolls out, stuns Shane, and just leaves. I, yeah. Stuff like that gets him more over. Yeah. I, I actually, kind of like you, I thought for a second, it's like, eh, I kind of wish he would have just stayed there and, you know, fought him, even if it meant like he eventually got overtaken and you end the episode like that. I mean, I don't think that hurts him at all. Showing him that he's going to stand up to him. You know, they, away. they don't do that a lot. Watch old wrestling, okay, which I know you're a fan of. And a lot of times you would see these angles where the baby face would just keep fighting. And, and he would keep, like, he would be overcoming the odds, but eventually the odds would become too much. And he would succumb to him. You know, like, it would be two on one, but the baby face would somehow, some way, would get the advantage on the two guys. But then a third guy would come down. And eventually it would be too much, but they wouldn't, you know, WWE sometimes like goes up where like the three guys that just completely obliterate the baby face, making sure the crowd is like just dead. Um, yeah, I mean, there was two ways, but I didn't mind it overall. I, I really enjoyed um, Kevin Owens and what they've done with him as a baby face. Again, I was very excited when it looked like he was being brought back as a baby face. I thought it was a real mistake. I mean, people are going to argue, well, their hands were tied. They needed a heel for Kofi for that pay-per-view Daniel Bryan was there he worked that show I've made that point numerous times before um so I, I I was not happy when he turned heel again um and I'm very excited to see him as a baby face the only question I have now is him and Sami Zayn are are we just gonna forget that they were teaming up and KO walked out on him or is like are they just gonna be kept apart is there gonna gonna be any tying of that loose end on WWE television moving forward you know what would be interesting? God, there's no way they would do this if they did a Hell in the Cell match where Kevin Owens went to take a big bump and Sami Zayn saved Shane. Oh, well, yes. That would... I, I can't... Two I, years, yes, to the Kevin yeah, Owens-Shane Hell in a Cell match. I can't take ownership of this. And, I, and sadly, I can't give credit to whoever it was. But I saw on Twitter, somebody put... Uh, you know, where we are now compared to October of 2017. Yes, I was just going to bring that up. Yes. It's the, <laughs> the champions are like the exact same. And, and, and the Shane, and we still have the Shane, uh, Kevin Owens feud. Yeah. Just with them flip-flop baby yep. face heels. Yeah. It's a, yeah. AJ is the, the U S is a champ. Brock. You know, it's champ. United States. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah, and Brock is you know the universal champ again. And New there Day's was the tag like, champs. Yeah, there was four. Yeah, that's right. That was the other one. So yeah, it's well again, time is a flat circle, as, as you often say. Um, anything else from WWE television this week that we are missing that we should bring up that you liked or did not like? I mean, it makes me sad, but. Cesaro and Aleister Black are very good at wrestling. Okay, yes. So, you know what? I'm glad. So, all right. Ryan and I talked about this, and I want to give you a chance to bring use your two sets. Because on the preview show last week for Extreme Rules, we raised the question, and I believe it was very fair for us to raise the question. Was Cesaro the right guy, given that he's a guy I think a lot of fans would rather see, would like to see pushed higher up the card? Was he the right choice to be inserted into the role where he's clearly just someone there to elevate Aleister Black. And the I thing is, and usually Wrestling 101 tells you, to elevate a guy, you don't have him, his first big one-on-one match, be this competitive, good match. You have him just dominate and, and look impressive, right? You know, we talked, you know, AEW made that mistake with Hangman Page, I believe, at Fight for the Fallen, where rather than just have him look good, they had him in this competitive match, which was a real head scratcher. I, I'm interested if you agree with this. Despite that sort of like my philosophy towards Cesaro being in here, inserted into this role, they wrestled twice, Black won twice, both matches were good. I thought the pay-per-view match, uh, was the best match of the weekend, I said, and I'll stand by that right now. I do believe Alistair Black is more over today on Wednesday, uh, July 17th, than he was going into the weekend with the audience. I believe those matches did help him get over. I mean, it's not for Cesaro, but, you know, Cesaro, I mean, at this point, maybe the die is cast. I believe it, Alistair Black, I tip my cap, is more over today than he was at this time last week. Yeah, and you, I wasn't ready to agree with you, but it really does seem like it uh, because there was some buzz from their match at Extreme Rules, and I I, I liked the end of uh, SmackDown where he uh, kicked the, the mouth guard. Yeah, that was great. That was absolutely great. That was a great finish. It made it look so. Yeah, I and it'll be again the follow up. What do they do with Aleister Black? He's got some momentum. He's a guy who should be getting impressive wins on television. WWE. Go with it. Ride the hot hand. All right, Kyle Ross. I got uh, one more question for you. Okay. What What do you think Daniel Bryan is alluding to? Aha. With, with his uh, whole the next step he needs to take. You know what? You know what my initial thought was. Hmm. He's go, he's going to two hundred five live. Somebody said that, and I just can't see them doing that with him. Me neither. I, I mean, unless if like, look, we know he's a guy who does have some cachet backstage, has some clout with Vince, Vince Alisson. I mean, he would have to make one hell of a compelling argument to Vince to be like, yeah, I'm going to that show. Um, it would basically, I mean, he honestly could lean on the fact, well, you don't have anything really intriguing for me on the main roster, so let me just do my thing over there. Um, God, that would be so, odd. Well, but part of it could be, you know, because this big thing has changed the world. And he brought it up again on SmackDown. It's about changing the world. And, you know, maybe it's propping up smaller guys as changing the world that he can be on 205 Live, but still bring that title 
to SmackDown, and that props it up. Okay, well, look, um, I've said this in the past. I like 205 Live. Um, I, it has not been as strong in 2019 as it was in 2018. 2018, I thought it was consistently the best weekly show in, in the WWE umbrella. I really Although- I, I've heard uh, Jack Gallagher versus Chad Gable too. It was, is very, it was very good. It really, it, uh, they were given time. God, I love Jack Gallagher. What a wrestler this guy is. Uh, but Gable's very good too, obviously. Um, but it was very good. Yes, I watched this afternoon. It was every, it, was, it lived up to the hype. Um, it was probably the best 205 live match this year. Pro- ah, the four way was real good. From a few weeks ago, too. Let's we'll table that discussion for a different time. But I've said this before about 205 Live. I'm not exactly sure why the show exists. If it's just gonna kind of be like this, because yeah, we can talk about how you know maybe the wrestlers in a vacuum benefit not being mixed in with the main roster because they'll be treated like jobbers. But at the same time, the crowd just kind of views them as like these guys being unworthy of the main roster shows, you know, they, they, they are not reacted to like stars and it, God bless Daniel Bryan. I mean, that might be one of his great, I mean, in a, in one of the all time great wrestling careers, if Daniel Bryan could get that show over, what a feather in the cap it would be. If it's not that, what is it? Cause I know I've seen some people say it, but, but if it's not that, what, by the way, another great segment on two Oh five live this week was Drake Maverick and Mike Kanellis. All right, I haven't watched it. I'll have to check it out. Drake Maverick is a tremendous performer. Agree. I've been actually loving his twenty four seven. His twenty four seven stuff's great, and he's great in that commit. He's great in that GM role. He's one of the few people who does a good job as a GM who I actually like in that GM. Most GMs are terrible. He is very good, and you know the back and forth he had, and Canellis, you know, kind of challenging him to punch him, and he did. Um, and they had a brawl. It was really good stuff. And Mike Canellis, I mean, you know. For me to care about him is is tough because of his storyline is so cringeworthy right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, if what else could it be for Daniel Bryan? Let's just spitball. I I literally have no idea, and I have I have not even seen any other theories of what it could be. I I mean, I've got nothing, man. So we've got. I'm trying to think like what. You know, they did the thing again. He's a heel. He said he was going to reveal it. He didn't. That was a heel. You know, some people were like, oh, you know, typical WWE. They tell us they're going to do something and they don't deliver. In that case, I thought it was just a heel move where he's just trying to lead us on um, and keep us guessing. I thought that was heel work. I didn't think that was bait and switch by WWE at all. Um, So, yeah, I don't know either. Really, I I wish I had an answer, but I've got no clue what it could be. What? I hope it's something important because, you know, God bless the whole idea of him elevating the tag. Again, let's elevate titles. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not talk about that on screen. Let's just have the champions be well-booked and be stars. That will elevate it. We don't have to beat the crowd over the head. Oh, yeah, these titles don't really mean jack shit. (laughs) Stop being logical, man. Come on. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, I don't know. We shall wait and see. Love Daniel Bryan with all my heart and soul. I hope it's something important. If it Definitely. is 205 I'll be inclined to watch every yeah, week. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of us will be. Mm-hmm. Um, is it time for Kyle Ross's I Love This Sport Deep Dive of the Week? 
It might be. I want to just mention a few things. Uh, okay. Eric Bischoff did not has not yet started on SmackDown. For those wondering, still uh, driving. For, well, I, I believe he has officially landed in Connecticut on his long drive from Wyoming. But um, you know, there was some discussion that this was going to be his first week in charge of Smack SmackDown brand. It was not. Apparently, it's going to be next week, though. Uh, are the reports? Um, so we shall see if there's any. You know, again, people are, are going to see something and immediately, oh, there's Bischoff's fingerprints, just like they did with Heyman. Um, and, you know, that the Braun um, Lashley angle. Uh, also, I don't know if you have had a chance. We should um, mention AEW briefly here. Apparently, in the first uh, video of Road to All Out, Sean Spears revealed that he has a manager, and that manager is Tully Blanchard. I have not seen the video yet. Um, it dropped not long before we started recording. Uh, I am very intrigued to watch that. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen that either. Okay, your thoughts on what I say that Tully Blanchard will be managing Sean Spears against Cody Rhodes uh, at All Out. Does that make you more excited about the match that Tully Blanchard is involved? Tully and Dusty, obviously longtime rivals. Okay, yeah. Will they might be, able be to teaching him the secrets of the Rhodes DNA? <laughs> I mean, I guess they got something there to work with. It, it doesn't really stir my pot. Okay. Love Tully Plancher with all irons. So maybe I should have him <laughs> for a, eh, it's a little late for a uh, deep dive of the week for Tully. But um, I, I do have the deep dive of the week, like you said. I just wanted to pick a good old school WWF match. I've been watching the uh, 86 Boston house shows recently in my spare time, believe it or not, despite all the litany of wrestling um, that has taken place since Saturday. I often do watch this other stuff. I love watching 80s WWF. It's just the easiest watch. I feel I can just fall asleep to it. And it doesn't matter. But a match that everyone, you know, the knock on 80s WWF as well as it was booked. And, you know, I can go back and watch it and really relish in the booking, which is what I feel is, is booking and promos were really strong. A match that you want, I think was one of the best 1980s WWF matches occurred in August at the Boston Garden. The August 86 Boston show. This is on the network. Ricky Steamboat and Jake Roberts. This is a great match. The psychology is off the charts with the arm. With okay. uh, Go ahead. Where does somebody go to find this? You have, to, you have to go to old school um, in the vault old school 86 and then the Boston. They, I think they have every Boston show for that year in 86. Okay. Um, and, but steamboat uh, Roberts is in the kind of middle of the show. It's not. Okay. You said but August. Yes. August. It is very okay. good. I mean, they had a series of matches. Obviously it started with the DDT angle on Saturday night's main event. Um, they had a lot of, you know, uh, heated matches around the horn all summer, but this is the best Steamboat Roberts match of the lot. And I really think um, you could make a case. It's one of the 10 best uh, 80s matches in WWF, which may not be saying much. It is not a near five-star match. Um, you know, obviously there were not a lot of, you know, high-end matches uh, from that era, but this is really good. And I just wanted to recommend it. I'm so bummed out because normally uh, this is the point in the show where, know kyle and ryan would continue to talk while i fired <laughs> up the match of the week and watched that while they discussed whatever 
But, you know, because that Ryan's gone, I decided to be a professional and the TV's off so I could really concentrate and have a good conversation here with Kyle. And I appreciate it. Yeah. And I believe uh, we've got it. Hopefully we made Ryan Drosty proud this week. Oh, yeah. I We can only hope. Yeah. We, we can really hopefully next week when he returns. It'll be, you know, a great sweet reunion like when Bret Hart came back and gave Shawn Michaels that hug on Raw. Oh, I mean, oh. <laughs> Actually, I would rather, what if it was like Bret Noah and I'll cry in his arms? I don't care. <laughs> I love you. I'll cry in his arms. I don't give a damn. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think we covered it all again. Um, feel free again, folks, if you want to listen to what we thought of Fight for the Fallen and Extreme Rules, become a patron. Yeah, uh, thank you, everybody. Sorry, go ahead. I was like, just like my buddy Brian did, just celebrated his fortieth birthday. You know what? And gave himself one of the great gifts that that a man could give himself, and that's you know access to Top Rope Nation Extra, Top Rope Nation Classics. It is my understanding. I believe Ryan announced last week the plan is for us to finally do our long-awaited. Uh, look back at Super Brawl 2, a show that uh, all three of us I know and hold in very high regard. Ooh, we'll be yeah. doing that. And again, you must be a patron to listen to that show. Yeah. So oh, thank, I got thank you to all our uh, our, our Patreons. Uh, our, our, thanks to our producers, Brian, Derek, Kyle, Tim, Forrest, Sean, Gabe, Carla, and Liam. Uh, I hope everybody enjoys today's show. Uh, any parting words, Kyle? Tomorrow Never Knows is a fantastic song by the Beatles. Oh, God. Hey, hugs and kisses, everybody. We'll see you next week.